0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to season 10 of Be Heard Talk with Selena Hill, an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip-hop, AOC, and spice to unflavored news. I'm actually live in studio at our very own engineer, Joe Swift's studio, and I'm literally having a blast. This is like a whole thing. I wish you guys could see it, but I'm super happy to be here with you all. Each Sunday, I discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic black millennial perspective. And of course, I give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave those comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and I will read them throughout the show. And I already see a lot of comments. So I know you guys have a lot to say, especially about the topics we're gonna talk about today. Um, So we're gonna actually start off talking about the biggest stories of the week, everything from the CDC lifting the mask mandate for vaccinated Americans, to the latest on the Derek Chauvin murder trial, to Portia Williams' wild engagement to a very rich man that was formerly the husband of one of her friends. And then later on in the show, I'll speak to two organizers about the most recent surge of violence in Palestine, the history behind the Israeli occupation in Palestine, and how allies can stand in solidarity with Palestine. So we're going to have a great conversation about Palestine. And I I see the comments already. I know you guys are geared up and and just as geared up as I am to talk about it. Uh, Please support Be Her Talk by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Be Talk. Your support through a small donation will help us to continue to support and amplify the issues that you care about. Now, again, before we talk about Palestine. We're going to kick things off with the news roundup. This is a a round uh, of stories that made us laugh, cry, or go on a profanity-laced Twitter rant. And for this segment, I'm actually joined by two of my faves, starting with Evan Masternardi, He is the co-founder of Let's Not Be Trash and a Bronx organizer for Rank the Vote NYC. How's it going, Evan?
1: Hey, Selena. Thanks for having me as always. Love being on Be Heard. Thanks for the Let's Not Be Trash shout out. Everybody follow Let's Not Be Trash podcast for multidimensional men. And uh, looking forward to discussing these things with you today.
0: Absolutely. We are also joined by Michelle Hope, who is a sexologist, activist, and a writer. How's it going, Michelle?
2: Hey, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me.
0: We're happy to have you. So I'm actually gonna kick things off with Evan. I'm gonna just throw it to you so we can jump into these stories for the news roundup. Uh,
1: this is gonna be fun. Thank you for letting me talk about this. So we're gonna start off the show as we always do, as Selena says: stories that made you laugh, cry, that walk a flock. I mean, those like, okay, and made you go, all right, that's enough internet for today. To begin, in today's news surrounding our systems of of justice and governance, Judge Peter Cahill, presiding over the Derek Chauvin trial, decided to hear motions for a longer sentence citing aggravated factors. While the recommendations for unintentional second-degree murder are 12.5 years, the prosecution contests factors such as the method in which Chauvin killed George Floyd, created a vulnerable position for the victim. The fact that a nine-year-old girl was present during his murder and the fact that the crime was committed with three or more people present, that these factors made it of particular cruelty. Judge Cahill concurred with prosecutors stating that. Restraining George Floyd in the prone position with the weight of three police officers on him for a prolonged period did not create a vulnerability that was exploited to cause death. It was actually the mechanism causing death. Chauvin's sentencing will begin in late June, while the other three officers' trial will start August 23rd. Selena, Michelle, I'm posing this to both of you. I understand the prosecution is trying to give Chauvin, uh, trying to have him to receive a longer sentence. I'm not necessarily a scholar of Minnesota law. But what are your feelings on needing further proof that this heinous act caught on camera, which looks as intentional as it gets, needs additional motions, discussions to meet this standard of particular cruelty? Does this set a damaging precedent?
0: Michelle?
2: What comes up in this um, is really this idea that whether or not we need further proof, which we don't, we saw this happen in real time. I think what it does lead me to believe is that these conversations, while they may be arbitrary in the idea of setting further precedents, I think that this may be connected to the idea that this will set precedents moving forward in future cases. While we do not want that to happen, we do not wanna see future cases happen and these types of incidences continue. What we know is true is that they have continued since George Floyd. And I think that if they continue to, again, I'm not a legal scholar either, but if they need to set these motions and these standards or precedents, that should lead us to a space where other people will be convicted more harshly.
0: Yeah, so Prophet Robinson left a comment via LinkedIn saying, until concrete legislation is signed and delivered, nothing will change. Uh, Definitely agree there, which is why we're we're, we're pushing for the George Floyd Policing Act, um, that type of legislation. But, you know, to to the question that you asked, um, Evan, I think that Number one, just the way that the policy and, and the law is in Minnesota is definitely questionable. I read yeah. that in Minnesota, a person convicted of multiple crimes for a single incident is typically only sentenced for the most severe charge. So in this case, that's second degree murder. And the maximum sentence for that charge is 40 years. However, under Minnesota law, sentencing guidelines recommend only 12 and a half years in prison for someone who's convicted on an unintentional second degree murder charge if they have no criminal history so i think that the judge talking about these four different aggravating factors is actually a good thing. He's saying that, you know, Chauvin abused a position of trust and authority as a police officer. That was one. Number two, he said that he treated George Floyd with particular cruelty, which we know is true. Three, he committed a crime as part of a group with at least three others. And then four, children were present during the commission of the offense. A nine-year-old testified that she felt upset, sad, and angry after watching this man's life be sucked out out of him. So I, I think that we're definitely heading towards progress in this area.
1: All right, well, I appreciate your input on that and hopefully, truly we are. Uh, turning to our legislative systems, Liz Cheney was out, ousted from GOP leadership. She's a number. She was a number three Republican in the House, crafting the party's public messaging. After continuing to affirm that Joe Biden is the duly elected president of the United States and that there was no widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. While in February, following her vote to impeach the former president, she was still voted by the party to keep her seat and position. This past she, this past week, she was voted out. This is primarily due to her insistence on these, God forbid, facts during uh, following Republican functions after February, including saying that Trump should not appear in future GOP events as he does not have a place in the future of the party. It appears like saying the truth may make some in power unpopular, but able to keep them in Republican leadership, but sticking to it has real consequences. Her seat has now been replaced by upstate New York representative Elise Stefanik, a Trump loyalist. Selena, Michelle, again, it seems that we're in a tough spot here. We need Republicans to stand up to Trump and Trumpism, but when they do, they likely will lose power and be replaced by a loyalist to Trump's ideas. What do we think is the best strategy here for the country going forward regarding representatives of conservative or even moderate districts like Stefanik's for contesting the most radical GOP ideas?
0: Well, I'll say this, because Liz Cheney voted in support of Trump almost 90% of the time while in office. She is definitely a Trump loyalist. The only thing she's refusing to do is lie on his behalf by saying the election was stolen. I mean, look, I, I just... I really can't phantom how I really think that the Republicans at this point live in a distant world and they have no raps on reality because you're literally oysting a woman who is, you know, voting in his favor and your favor because you support, you know, Donald Trump. So I wouldn't actually go to Prophet Robinson's comment via LinkedIn. Prophet Robinson says, Liz is a true Republican. I have respect for her. And I'm guessing Prophet Robinson is saying that because obviously she's standing up against the lie. She is a true Republican because she keeps voting for Republican values. She's extremely conservative. And just because she won't lie, like the Republican Party is sickening to me at this point. Michelle, what are your thoughts? Well,
2: I honestly think that if Liz was Latham and was a man we would not be having this conversation I think that it speaks to the idea that there are men in the Republican Party who have stood up against Trump and we don't see them in the news cycle to the same extent I think that this was an opportunity to um, really try to shift this balance of power because she was like one of the most powerful women in the, in the GOP. And um, again, she she has been a Trump loyal to, loyalist up until this point because this was just fugazi, okay? You didn't win, and now we all know that, but I don't think it goes back to Trump loyalists because she's proven that by voting for his legislation and what he wanted. I think it comes down to the fact that there is some gender bias here and I think that this idea that she was ousted is only really uh, a part of her being a woman. If she was a man, I don't think we would see this or be having this conversation.
0: Well, That's she is- a good point. Like, um, That's a good point. I-, I just wanted to go to Michael R. Hassler's comment on LinkedIn. Michael says Liz is right on truth. She's wrong for voting for everything Trump wanted. Go yes. ahead, Evan.
1: Well, she is being replaced by a woman. The representative from upstate New York, but it may be a woman that... As you said, loyalists the same, but loyalists to the extent of supporting the big lie, as it being called now. So to Michelle's point, it's not just about being a woman. It's about being a, a woman defying a powerful man.
2: There it uh, is.
1: Yeah. So to the now turning to entertainment news, but also news on how damaging vitriol in the public eye can be for one's mental health. Chrissy Teigen publicly apologized for bullying model and singer Courtney Stoddick. Stauden, who goes by the pronoun they, was only 16 when they married 51-year-old acting coach Doug Hutchinson. After their divorce last year, they cited his emotional and mental abuse, but also stated how much other public figures contributed to their internal strife. This included taunts from Anderson Cooper, Joy Behar, who called her a slut, the fact that Dr. Drew performed a televised ultrasound on her breasts to prove to the public they were real, and most significantly... Tegan would publicly and privately message them, wishing they would kill themselves. While Tegan apologized for words to Stodden, Stodden claims she has never actually reached out personally to her, uh, to them, sorry. Additionally, years ago, Tegan found herself taking a break from Twitter, citing her own cyberbullying. But when she herself took part in it, at that time, she didn't apologize on her own volition for taking part in cyberbullying on herself. So, Michelle, I'm going to start with you. Two questions. You're a sexologist, and advocate for women, advocate for gender equity. This is beyond Chrissy Teigen. Why even as recent as the Twitter years, less than a decade ago, was this public shaming calling her a slut of Courtney Stodden so prevalent and not nearly checked enough or to the proper degree by other parties, this very gendered slander? Um I'll let you answer that one first and I'll go to the second question. So
2: well I think there's a in America we have a lot of transphobia right? And it doesn't matter if the person is a F to M or a M to F or just gender nonconforming in general, we seem to devalue those people's experiences. And I think this is a shining example of how it's okay because this person identifies as something different on the gender spectrum that we may not all agree with and or most of us do not understand fully. Exactly. And I think that it's it's like a very easy target and yes. because we are so gendered in the United States and we, we want to say, oh, we care about trans rights. We we love LGBTQ rights. But the problem is we're not really focused on the T and the marginalization and terror, not just by cyberbullying, but also physically. When you think right. this year, we've already seen over 27 gender non-conforming people murdered year to date. And this is the highest it has been. And we are on track to break last year's record and for the last five or six years gender uh gender non and trans deaths have skyrocketed and every year there are more and more and more of these types of killings so we have to look at this as a big picture issue that if we can you know uh, demonize a 16 year old person who is experiencing their own Um, processes of coming to understand themselves better, it makes it a lot easier for us to turn a blind eye when transgender killings are happening all over and we're not saying anything. So we really have to ask ourselves as a society, why aren't we having conversations around supporting these marginalized communities and uplifting them in a way that allows them to tell their stories authentically and to be supported?
1: Absolutely, like you said, it's not just the superficial support, it's also the disparate treatment. You see disparate treatment when it's happening to somebody of a certain gender. So to continue, second question, this is a tricky subject, but I wanted to ask you, and then I wanna get Selena's input after this. The relationship, while on its face, um, that's between Staden and Hutchinson, who is much, much who is decades her senior, is fraught with power dynamics, yeah. but, it, but it was legal. And to the extent that it was entered into, again, on its face, consensual. Yet it is understandable why outside parties may have legitimate concerns as to how healthy such a relationship can be for a 16-year-old. How do we effectively discuss the potential damaging dynamics of relationships such as this one with power, such a huge age difference, which by their own account, meaning by Stodden's account, did have abuse, but while respecting women's agency to be in the relationships that they want to be in?
2: I think it really boils down, I've said this before, we need to focus on identifying a federally mandated K through 12, inclusive and medically accurate um, sex ed curriculum nationwide. I think that what we have to understand is that these are very complex issues. They're very layered issues. Um, But if we don't start having conversations and building context, not only for our community members, but also children, um, we will continue to see this type of, of example of problematic, to some extent, relationships, power dynamics in relationships, especially romantic or sexual ones, are really rooted in open communication, honesty, and an ability to understand the context of power dynamics in that very relationship, right? So as a 16-year-old, you have to understand Why would this person so many decades older than me want to be in a relationship with me if not for the imbalance of power and being able to retain power over that person in the relationship? Like we have to really boil it down to what is education and how do we teach people what healthy relationships look like if we're waiting and saying this is not something we should be teaching in schools?
1: Right, and this was, like you said, this is more than just a fling or sexual. There's a lot more to this. They got married. They yeah. had a long-standing relationship that had abuse. So it's, a, it's not just about sexual attraction. This is about the mental health and emotional health part of it, which power dynamics can definitely affect. Thank you for that. Selena, your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, Michelle said, she explained everything really well, and she basically said it all. Um, I echo everything that she said. I think that it was... The, the relationship dynamic here is definitely something to be scrutinized. Um, you know, I personally wouldn't want a 16 year old child in my family marrying a, uh, you know, a wealthy 51 year old man because of the reasons already named. Um, but you know, it is a quote unquote free country. I do want to say this about Chrissy Teigen's comments to Courtney uh Stodden at that time and she was just 16. It wasn't just Chrissy. Um, right. and Anderson Cooper, right. Joy Behart. Right. a number of people were criticizing Courtney for the whole, for for the marriage and the situation. And it really speaks to the current zeitgeist of that time. This is 2011. We live in a very different world in society and we have seen some progress where things like that are just not cool anymore. So again, I do just wanna keep in mind that we are holding, you know, Chrissy uh, Teigen to a standard that was more than a decade Old right mm-hmm. now she you know she apologized. I don't think her nor Anderson Cooper, who is also has you know come out as a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, I, I would hope that they no longer feel like that and no and they haven't they no longer say things like that. I think a lot of us have evolved over the last ten years.
1: Well, I, I just want to add one follow It wasn't
0: right though, but I'm just I, saying well, it was she, different back
1: then. She did tell her to kill herself. I mean, I do I do think, yeah, go ahead, Michelle.
2: I think i want to say two really quick things one i don't care if you're gender non-conforming trans heteronormative or whatever a 16 year old getting married there should be a conversation about that in its in, in its entirety because you are you don't have the the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not fully formed yet and so you cannot really grapple with the understanding of what a marriage is that's one to the idea of anybody telling anyone to kill themselves on social media is just being a bully uh, yeah. behind this 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 safe space. Like people who talk out of their asses online, and it's painful and it's hurtful. And I just and I don't even know if I was allowed to say that cuss word. I apologize, but it just to me really makes me think that it, we are a coward society to get likes and retweets.
1: And. Let's be clear. Chrissy Teigen talked about cyberbullying too. And this wasn't too long ago. Twitter was used. DMs were used. And she talked about cyberbullying herself. And she did not take that opportunity to talk about her own errors there. It was only until it was exposed. So Mm -hmm. it sounds to me like this is more of a a moral compass issue than it is about. And and how we wait for some sort of uh, acquiescence um, uh, on uh, on a – larger level coalesce around a certain issue before we actually understand that it's wrong as opposed to just doing it for moral reasons um just wanted to throw that out there uh last thing and other news Ellen DeGeneres will not be returning for her show's 20th season citing that she was tired of doing it however and wake up the fact that her positive upbeat brand took a major hit when allegations of a toxic workplace, including unchecked sexual harassment, first surfaced in a BuzzFeed report, which resulted in the fire of three executives, journalists wonder, is she being tired or tired of taking accountability? So, to me, the reason Ellen is leaving isn't the main reason here. The main issue is that there was a pervasive, toxic work environment. Selena, I'm going to start with you. As someone who has worked in media journalism most of your, your career, how accountable do you believe a boss should be for knowing and dealing with conduct that happens during your tenure?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that standard goes across the board, no matter what industry or sector that you work in. I want to say this about Ellen, though, because when Ellen first came out uh, over a decade ago in the back in the 90s, it was a watershed cultural moment that cannot be overestimated or understated by any means um but throughout the tenure of her two decade career hosting the ellen show we sort of find that you know her kindness and re- re- relatability factors almost seemed like they became complicit i feel like ellen being in uh, an older white privileged woman didn't really conform or mesh with the current zeitgeist that we live in which calls for more accountability which Evan was talking about and which calls for more uh, authenticity and I just feel like with with Ellen it, it's just I, I don't think what she represented then like I appreciate it but I don't think that translates to what society is demanding from you know public figures and figureheads today
1: that's That's very true, how that can be in conflict. Michelle, what do you think?
2: Well, I think at some point, I think there's a couple things here. Similarly to when Oprah walked away, um, we were all sad. We'll all be sad that Ellen's walking away. But let's remember, Ellen's got millions and millions of dollars. Right. She can touch anything and it will probably turn to gold. Um, We don't need to worry about Ellen or her show going off the air. She will continue to do all the things and come out with something again, we will as consumers consume. Um, Whether or not she should be held responsible for the uh, toxic culture in her workplace is, is for me almost obsolete because at this point she's just a cast member. While it might be her show, it might be her name, I think that there's a lot of workings that happen behind the scenes that she doesn't have any idea about.
1: Well, that's my broader question. I guess this is where we'll end. Is it still The Buck Stops with you? Because this was happening for a long time with executives she was very close to. You know, this was one of the questions, again, a very different situation, but still involving toxic environment, that people ask with Harvey Weinstein. Could you really be that close and not know? What, what do you both think?
0: I mean, um, I think
2: that, go ahead, Selena.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I think Ellen was playing the victim role. She did a recent interview and she was like, oh, you know, they trashed me and they said all this stuff. Like, I, I haven't seen her really hold herself accountable. Like we all, we all know that Ellen, you know, she was supposed to be really nice. And then it was exposed that she's not that nice. People who work with her, you know, so I, I mean, I would love for her to take accountability. I do think you know this is her last season. Maybe she will. maybe she will step it up. maybe we'll see some growth or maybe we won't and she'll go away. That's 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 what it is.
2: I mean for, my last thing on that would be um, media in general is not nice. The entertainment business people are not nice. This is not just you know only about the Ellen show. This is something that happens in media quite often and in entertainment that they are, it's a very competitive place. And that is how the systems that and, and powers that be are.
1: I think, I think many people kind of knew that, but didn't want to vocally say that that should be the precedent. And now we are checking these precedents that why is a toxic workplace, even if sexual harassment isn't the, isn't being happening. We've heard about, uh, people being, uh, abused, tables flipped, uh, horrible language it seems like now we're reforming whether or not that should be the standard for entertainment that we should just accept that and overall i do think that's a good thing so that's the news roundup thank you selena for giving me the opportunity to do it thank you michelle and both of you for the input and we'll see you next time
0: absolutely appreciate you guys always so now we're gonna move things along to some of the questionable stories that made me say really throughout this past week. Starting with the CDC. The CDC said on Thursday that fully vaccinated people do not need masks in most spaces, including being indoors. However, the federal mask retreat has set off confusion for states and cities around the country. Not only did the CDC announcement catch mayors and governors off guard, but some public health experts question the wisdom of the relaxed guidelines. And the most obvious issue here is that, okay, so the CDC basically created two separate rules, those who are vaccinated and those and rules for those who are unvaccinated. However, there's no way to tell the difference. Plus the people who are pushing the limits on not wearing a mask more than likely are the ones who have not been vaccinated. So yeah, I can get vaccinated, but how do you know if the person you're sitting next to has? Exactly. Meanwhile, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced the end to COVID-19 mask and social distancing measures throughout the entire state of Ohio. Really? I mean, maybe the Republican governor is of the same mind as many of the folks in Atlanta who think that COVID just magically ceases to, has ceased to exist. But let us not forget that over 500,000 families have suffered from COVID deaths while livelihoods have been destroyed and school systems are literally hanging on by their teeth. And yet, the two simple guidelines that will help keep people alive, mask and social distancing, are politicized and dismissed. Really. Now, next story. If anyone follows me on Instagram, you've seen me rave about Saturday Night Live, about my interviews with Keenan Thompson and Chris Red, and the fact that I recently attended a live SNL show. However, as a fan, I must say I was not a fan of SNL co-opting African-American vernacular English in a skit and then calling it Gen Z terminology. Look, I'm sorry to say, but SNL missed the mark with their Gen Z hospital sketch where they tried to pass African-American vernacular as a new mainstream white teen slang. Guys, it's literally jargon that black folks have been using in our communities for generations since we've been forced to code switch in America. And since the beginning of time, it's like white people continue to stumble upon things and call it theirs, whether it's language, the Caribbean, hip hop, everything. And honestly, at this point, we're over it, really. Last story, Horsha Williams. Portia, you really wanted Phelan's man because we saw in your house and they captioned her as your friend. And we saw the picture with you, Dennis and Simon, and we get it. He has some change, like $40 million. And, you know, it is what it is. But seriously, you're really going to marry him? This is the man? Portia, we saw your growth, we saw you going to therapy, we saw your loyalty to Tanya and Shamia for so many seasons, but we don't understand. Girl, please don't hit us with the hashtag love wins because really? All right, now on that note, we are gonna keep things moving along. Now for our main topic, Gaza is under attack. The fight for Palestinian freedom. The death toll in Gaza has climbed to a total of 181, including at least 52 children and 31 women since the beginning of the airstrikes on Gaza began last week. Plus, at least 1,225 people have been injured, and that number is expected to rise. On Saturday alone, Israel targeted a refugee camp in Gaza where at least 10 Palestinians were killed. It also destroyed a building in Gaza City that houses the offices of Al Jazeera and the Associated Press, which is a direct attack on media and journalists. The recent conflict began after Israeli military brutally, had a brutal response to Palestinian protests over a threatened neighborhood in East Jerusalem. Now, here in the U.S., many of us have been condemning the illegal Israeli occupation and accounts of disproportionate use of force uh, that Israel is putting out in return against Hamas. Meanwhile, while the Hamas rockets were fired and Israeli airstrikes were toppling buildings in Gaza and all the violence was happening on the ground, President Joe Biden was pretty quiet about this escalating crisis. He did not... You don't issue any hastily arranged remarks on the Middle Eastern violence, nor did he really even bring it up unless he was asked. And when he was asked about the matter, here's what he said, and I quote, "Israel has a right to defend itself when you have thousands of rockets flying into your territory." My hope is that we'll see this coming to conclusion sooner rather than later. Yeah. So to discuss the escalating tension in Palestine, the event that triggered this recent surge of violence and the history behind the Israeli occupation in Palestine, we have two very special guests that I am honored to introduce, starting with Tahir Zala, who is the Director of Outreach and Grassroots Organizing with American Muslims for Palestine. And we are also joined by Nordin Kizwani, who is the founder and chair of Within Our Lifetime, United for Palestine, a community-based Palestinian-led organization whose goals is to revitalize the revolutionary spirit of the Palestinian community abroad in pursuit of free homeland. Thank you so much for joining us here on Be Her Talk.
3: Thank you for having us. I appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. So, Tahir, I actually want to start with you. You know, there's a long history of tension between Israel and Palestine. I I know this is we have 30 minutes left for this conversation. But if you could uh, just try to get us up to speed about the roots of this Israeli occupation. Um, And again, I know we don't have enough time to really, really dig deep. But if you could just help um, uh, some of us understand what's going on at the root.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as simply put, as I could put it. Um, We have uh, an occupying force, uh, a settler colonial enterprise, uh, which is rooted uh, in uh, the late 1800s out of the European colonial experience, uh, Zionism, uh, which in essence is a white uh, supremacy uh, transformed into Jewish supremacy, uh, taking over Palestinian land, indigenous Palestinian land in order to settle that land and colonize it uh, and to make an exclusively Jewish state on the ruins of of Palestinian people uh, and, and the Palestinian land. Uh, And this is what uh, really the the gist of it is, uh, if you want to look at the the core root of the problem that we have today, uh, all of the issues that we have today in the region are derived or rooted in the occupation. Occupation of Palestine from the beginning, from 1948 till today, uh, by the Zionist entity known as the State of Israel, has caused and and wreaked havoc on Palestinian society, has sought to ethnically cleanse the Palestinian population uh, from our historic indigenous homeland, and has sought not only to remove us, but also erase our history and legacy in the region. And as you see, as you saw over the past two weeks, uh, uh, especially in the last week of the holy month of Ramadan, Israelis are uh, making incursions into the uh, blessed uh, and holy mosque of Al-Aqsa, uh, which is uh, another example of Israel trying to erase uh, and diminish uh, Muslim holy sites in the region in order to, again, uh, recreate history and rewrite history in their own liking. And this is really the, the, the basic, uh, bare bones answer that I have for you for that.
0: No, thank you so much, Sahir, for for just breaking that down. Kika left a comment via Facebook that I want to go to. She says this country has always been silent on Israel colonizing, well, colonizing others. Thank you so for so much for that that comment. Kisa. uh, Nardine, definitely want to get your your feedback and your thoughts as well.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, had pretty much summed it up. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that he brought up, you know, since 1948. Yesterday, May 15, um, it actually marks the 73rd year of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, the genocide of the Palestinian people that began in 1948. You know, a lot of people look around and they think that this problem just started, um, you know, when bombs started dropping. But um, Gaza has always been, has also been under siege and blockade since 2007, so nothing can get in and out without Israel's approval. Um, And they don't have clean water. They don't have electricity for 16 hours a day. 100% of the population um, suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. And 45% of the population is under the age of 14 years old. So quite literally, when Gaza is being bombed by Israel, they know that children are going to die and they do it anyway, because most of our population is young. But, you know, this all started in in 1948 with Israel's creation. A lot of people have, you know, looked to Sheikh Jarrah, uh, which, you know, some, some mm-hmm. of you might have heard of, a uh, Palestinian neighborhood in Jerusalem that's, you know, has 500 people at threat of eviction being kicked out of their homes by Zionist settlers um, in coordination and in support with the Israeli government. Um, and one thing that, you know, people have been saying that I think really um, poignantly, like, you know, captures this is that every Palestinian neighborhood um, was once a Sheikh Jarrah and everything that Israel is built on now um, was once Palestinian land. And of course, I love the comment about America being silent because what else can we expect? This country was built also on the ethnic cleansing, the genocide of the indigenous people here, right? So you know, of course, the United States is also going to support a country that that's doing the same thing. Um, and. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it there so you can ask us more questions. I have a lot to say about this.
0: No, Nardine, thank you for, for just speaking truth to power. I did want to get to Khadija Caroline Cruz's comment via LinkedIn. She says, Israel is treating Palestinians like America was and is was, and is still treating people of color. So to your point, Nardine, uh, this is, you know, pretty unsurprising. And I did actually want to just dig a little bit into President Joe Biden's response a little bit more. Were you in any way surprised? Because, you know, he, he 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 said himself, I'm going to be the most progressive president ever. But it's like, where are you on this crisis that's going on?
4: Yeah, not at all. I wasn't surprised. I mean, every single mm-hmm. um, US president at this point Um, during their time as presidency has supported Israel. And even if he gave us some fake lip service where he, you know, made some, you know, fake thing to pretend to stand with Palestinians, we still wouldn't believe it because the United States gives $10 million in our tax money to Israel every single day. And that's not a typo, Uh, literally $10 million every single day instead of, you know, they still don't have uh, water, clean water in Flint, Michigan, we can't even give people adequate access to healthcare in this country, but we have ten million dollars a day to send to an occupying army that's putting che- bullets in the chest of Palestinian children. And um, the NYPD literally has an office in Tel Aviv, in Israel. Um, police forces from the U.S., including you know Minnesota, Ferguson, so many of the most violent um, forces we've seen, even the NYPD, are being trained in Israel from moves like the knee on the neck, and they also um, share you know they they get their same supplies tear gas uh so-called crowd control tactics that are actually violence to repress and oppress uprisings um and yeah they're, they're treating um us like the same way like we're terrorists uh because they know that we have a struggle and they know that you know we're righteously angry and they want to uh take that down
0: absolutely so um tahir i definitely want to get your response and and i know that um Prophet Robinson said the Obama administration to dog Palestinians. He said that via, I think it was LinkedIn uh, a few minutes ago uh, to hear what is your response to, you know, Biden's response and just the history that America has of being so supportive of Israel and not calling out war crimes like we, you know, do or would do in any other instance.
3: Absolutely. I mean. The United States is not only silent about Israel's war crimes. The United States is an active participant in Israel's war crimes. I mean, we should be very clear and frank about that. Without the uh, support and funding and political cover that is provided in the international arena, Israel would not be able to do what it is doing today. The United States is fully complicit in the violence committed against the Palestinian people. And and our sister Nirdeen just uh, brought you the numbers. Yes, $10 million dollars every single day close to four billion dollars annually in military aid that means american weapons contractors are profiting from the murder of palestinian babies the the the, the, the american prison industrial complex also profits you know all the evil forces uh, in this country that oppress our people here domestically uh, are 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 party to the oppression of Palestinians abroad. And this is the the problem that we have. The Biden administration came into office saying that they are going to be the human rights presidency, that they are going to flip the script on the Trump administration's policies of of working with despotic regimes and, and human rights violators. Well, here's your opportunity, Mr. Biden. Here's your opportunity to come and speak out openly about one of the most gruesome, vicious, and violent attacks on human beings happening in the world right now. And instead of condemning Israel's violence, Mm -hmm. Biden um, gives excuses for Israel's violence and talks about, quote unquote, Israel's right to defend itself. Well, Israel has no right right to defend itself against an occupied people. The occupied people are the ones who have an absolute and fundamental right to defend themselves against an occupier. This is the situation that we're dealing with when it comes to American politics, a dismal uh, response, uh, callous, and a disgusting, scandalous response from the Biden administration thus far, where the uh, State Department spokesperson Ned Price refused to even acknowledge the suffering of the Palestinian people, refused to even condemn Israel for killing babies. I mean, how absurd do you have to be? How, 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 how evil do you have to be to not even want to utter the words, condemn Israel for the things that are clearly and openly done in open view? Uh, against human rights and, and, and violating Palestinians' uh, dignity. I mean, this is the situation that we're dealing with, and this is what we are trying to fight uh, uh, and w- what we're up against here as a Palestinian-American diaspora community uh, as we challenge U.S. policy in, in, in a different direction.
0: Absolutely. So LinkedIn user left a comment mm-hmm. via LinkedIn that I want to highlight. They said, why is every American president silent on the Palestinian occupy? I think they mean Israeli occupation? Money. It's always money. American Jewish lobbyists have money. Um, I know Stanley Fritz also left a comment. We want to get to Stanley. Stanley says, there is no excuse for the mass murder being executed by Israel. Israel is an apartheid government committing genocide. Uh, We absolutely would agree with that type of sentiment, but it's something here that I feel like American media in particular doesn't frame it like that. Like even the so-called progressive left, you know, when I'm reading about what's going on, I'm hearing, you know, they're saying, "Oh, there was evictions, and you know, people are upset, and there's clashes of violence." And you know, hearing that and reading that, and not understanding the slant, can become confusing. So I wanted to also just clarify the recent events that are happening because I think American media is not doing a good job, especially when we, we talk about eviction. So uh, to hear, I'll throw that one to you too. Can you? Can you? talk about the most recent um events that triggered everything
3: yeah and absolutely i mean you know people always say you know oh you know there's the surge in violence and and this and that but i I want to I want to contextualize that for folks a little bit Palestinian people are living under a constant state of violence when we're talking about the siege on gaza over the past 15 years we're talking about ethnic cleansing and expulsion over the past 73 years this is we're, we've been living in a constant state of violence that israel has imposed on us so when we talk about uh, the the surge of violence we need to think about these things when we when we look at this current context of the situation um uh, you know of course This uh, surge that we uh, see now happening uh, over the past uh, several weeks uh, really uh, started in uh, the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah uh, as the Palestinian uh, families there were being uh, forced or violently really expelled from their uh, homes that they've been living in for generations. Uh, And then we saw that spill over uh, into the uh, holy places uh, that Muslims were praying in. Uh, In Ramadan, uh, particularly in Masjid al-Aqsa, where uh, Israeli uh, forces decided to barricade uh, the mosque and prevent worshippers from praying in there. And and then uh, for for, for the main reason that there was supposed to be a Jewish uh, unification of Jerusalem holiday uh, where uh, Israeli settlers, Israeli colonizers uh, were to take over Masjid al-Aqsa. And therefore, the Israeli uh, forces were sent into the mosque to um, empty the mosque of its Muslim worshippers so that the Jewish settlers can come and pray uh, and, and celebrate. Uh, their victory in 1967 uh so that obviously caused uh, a lot of tension and clashes uh Palestinian worshippers as they were kneeling praying to god uh, were shot with with uh uh rubber steel uh, steel uh, uh rubber coated steel bullets and um and tear gas uh, among other things all weapons of war that were used on the streets here in the united states in ferguson and baltimore and all the other cities that had uprisings uh same same stuff that we saw uh, being used there was being used in palestine and and we saw worshipers being forcibly beaten, uh, removed uh, from their place of worship. They weren't doing anything, literally just praying, being forced to remove. So that obviously uh, exacerbated the situation, escalated tension. We saw Palestinians from across the region, uh, from across uh, Pal- historic Palestine and the West Bank and Gaza uh, uh, go up in arms uh, about the situation. Uh, protesting uh, across the region, families and, and 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 communities were coming together to Jerusalem to defend Masjid Al-Aqsa as it was being attacked, and then of course uh, in Gaza, uh, an immediate and unequivocal response to the Israeli occupation's uh, aggression towards mm-hmm. our holy place and our future capital. Uh, this is something that uh, uh, escalated tensions as well, and then of course Israel goes above and beyond uh, to uh, to uh, collectively punish the Palestinian people whenever the Palestinian people decide to rise up. And as we see today, over the past uh, week or so, Israel has killed Mm. more than 180 people in the Gaza Strip, uh, uh, actually uh, about 40 of them uh, children uh, under the age of 18. Uh, Unbelievable brutality and violence that we are witnessing, something that would really make Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan look like saints uh, in the historical context. Uh, It's it's really incredible to watch uh, that the, the entire world See what's happening in Gaza without taking forceful and assertive action against the state of Israel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. David Skinner left a comment via LinkedIn saying decades of Israel, Israeli treatment towards Palestinians seem to mirror the South African apartheid government treatment towards the indigenous South African people. And then Kika chimed in as well. She says, and when you call it out, you're called anti Semitic. Uh, Nardine, you know, we were talking about the, the recent. Events that led to um, obviously the the crisis that's going on now. Where do you see this going? Do you think I'm, I'm seeing media again? They're saying, "Oh, it's an all-out war. It's going to be an all-out war." Is that accurate?
4: I mean, we've been under genocide for 73 years. So whether or not Palestinians are getting bombed, obliterated in Gaza, um, they're dying anyway. Whether it's for lack of medical treatment, not being able to leave the most densely re- populated region in the world that that has crumbling infrastructure, um, Palestinians are dying anyway. uh, The United Nations said that Gaza would be unlivable in 2020. So for us, you know, it's been, you know, I I wouldn't call it a war because a war implies that, you know, it's two equal sides with an army, armies and uh, the same, you know, like kind of like on the same playing field, but we're not. We're occupied at the end of the day. Gaza is under siege, like not even like certain food, you know, certain things can't get in and out uh, without Israel's permission. There have been many attempts um, to send, you know, food aid, different types of aid to Gaza for over like the last 15 years. And, you know, they leave cargo ships rotting. They don't even let them um, come in. And anyone who tries to break the siege um, gets shot. So for us, you know, it's 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 always in this state. And, you know, even when I was um, in, last in Palestine in 2014 at Al-Aqsa Mosque, Every day, Israeli soldiers would come in and do the same things that we're seeing now to worshipers in Jerusalem. Like they would literally have um, a policy where if you're not a woman or a man under the age of uh, 50, uh, well, only men under the age of um, 55 would be not allowed to come. So if you're 55 and older and a man or a woman um, or a child, you'd be allowed to come pray. So they would basically, you know, just have people they would think to be more vulnerable and then they would come in and start shooting people. And of course the mainstream media, you know, not only does it not cover it, it flips the script. So I, you know, New York post literally had a headline that said that, you know, Hamas killed 20 people in Israel, um, including nine children when it was actually the opposite was the case. It was Israel that killed 20 Palestinians in Gaza and including nine children. And then when they realized they made the mistake, They didn't even correct it to publish it. They just made it about, um, you know, Hamas and Israel exchanging rockets, right? But when it's Israelis or Israeli kids they thought thought died, they want to uplift that. But if it's Palestinians, they want to sweep it under the rug. And also, you know, Nelson Mandela has said, um, our freedom is incomplete without the, we know all too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians um, in response to the apartheid comment. Uh, you know, even his uh, uh, his relatives now are still fighting um, for a free Palestine, so this is well known. And of course, yes, if you fight for Palestine, you're considered anti-Semitic. Even though I'm an American citizen, my father was born in Palestine, all four of my grandparents from both sides of my family were born in Palestine. I'm not allowed to go there. Um, I was banned by the Israeli government when I was 20 years old, literally in 2015, because I was part of um, a Palestine organization. Um, on my campus, that's you know it's very popular and well known. Um, they have it all over the country. But if you speak up for Palestine, you know they'll find a way to to take you down. Even now in law school, every my law school at this point has said they got you know they've got they've gotten over twenty thousand emails, um, for calls to try to expel me, to try to suppress my freedom of speech. And of course, you know they can't and won't do that. But This is exactly the case. Palestinians are fighting for free, are using our bodies, our voices, whatever we can, whether that's in Palestine, whether that's protesting, um, you know, completely out of the understanding that this is an important cause for us to fight for. Meanwhile, the Israeli government is bankrolling billions of dollars um, to PR, to media, to lobbyists, um, to try to contain the truth. Um, You know, even Instagram is blocking our stuff. There was a a big thing where every, all of our posts on Instagram started to get deleted. I'm blocked from going live for some reason. So yeah, it's a very well-oiled, well-funded machine um, against people who who have nothing but our voices and our rocks in our hands.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a a fair fight. It's, you can't even call it a fight because it's between the power and the international support that Israel has uh, it's definitely not a fight. It's oppression and and, and, and occupying at this point. Well, it's always been Rachel Johnson left a comment via Facebook. She said, I did not know all of this. And this mirrors USA police killings of black people too. And that leads me to my next point. How has black lives matter, the movement, the global movement, um, sort of changed that conversation that, folks here in America are having about Israel and Palestine. Did you notice any difference, Sahir?
3: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, especially in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, and I would say uh, really the apex of this was several years ago after uh, Mike Brown's murder uh, in Ferguson, Missouri. I think that for for, for many people was a turning point in uh, seeing an extraordinary solidarity between black communities and Palestinians. I think one of the things that Black Lives Matter has changed in the American conversation is that it brought the the violence and the brutality of Israel's occupation home for many Americans who didn't really understand or see uh, what was happening on the ground. And I think one of the things you know that has been bold and truly principled from the leadership of the black community uh, on the ground, really those who are participating in, in these uprisings is to make those connections. Uh, and to uh, be in relationship with Palestinian organizers in the United States and on the ground in Palestine. Uh, we know, as a matter of fact, there was a Dream Defenders delegation uh, that took so many uh, amazing black voices to Palestine to witness personally what was happening on the ground there. And they came back and they became the, some of the most outspoken people for this cause. And one of the, one of those people is probably someone you've all probably had on the show before, Mark Lamont Hill, who lost his job at CNN. Because he said something that everybody sh- believes and, and, and should know, which is Palestine should be free from the river to the sea. Uh, nothing controversial about that. Uh, but, but of course, the mainstream media uh, couldn't handle that narrative uh, and, and especially could not handle a black man uh, saying it uh, to the rest of America. And, and so we're seeing this. And, and I think the challenge uh, that uh, the black America, uh, especially black intellectuals and, and, and organizers, you know, people like Angela Davis, uh, who are pushing the narrative on Palestine, and framing it as an anti-colonial struggle, as a rights struggle, uh, they're, they're helping significantly uh, alter and change uh, American public opinion in the right direction when it comes to uh, Israel-Palestine.
0: Yeah, and, and I just wanna say this because I do feel like a lot of folks will say like, oh, you know, well, America, we have enough issues here and, and black, fo- you know, black folks, we suffer enough oppression here. And what I always say is that we can't be free unless everyone is free. And honestly, white supremacy is so pervasive that obviously it's being expressed and it also plays a role here. If the if the Israeli people were darker, there is no question in my mind that they would not be getting away with what's going on today. But it's because Jewish people have been white or, or sometimes white facing or white presenting. And, and that's part of the reason. I mean, we, we see this played out in history time and time again. Um, I, I wanna get, we, we need to start, you know, talking about solutions and actually, unfortunately wrapping up the conversations, but uh, Nardine, what is, are there any plausible solutions here?
4: You know, so we believe in land back, we believe in full decolonization of Palestine. Look, Muslims, Christians, Jews, all lived in Palestine pre-1948 peacefully. Uh, we're muslim my grandmother used to tell me stories of her um, doing easter egg hunts in her village and how they would go to the jewish butcher because it was better and there are still jewish people in palestine that don't recognize themselves as israelis so you know for us having one palestine freedom for all you know um, nobody can have supremacy based on their religion based on their race uh, because you know a jewish state implies and not just implies it effectively and de facto is um, going to be Jewish supremacists. So, you know, having one Palestinian state for all people who, who want to be a part of that and not, you know, just destroy and kill and ethnically cleanse the Palestinian people is the most just and realistic solution because there are so many Palestinians um, still fighting their, for their land within Palestine. And as long as, you know, Israel's colonizing us, you know, Palestinians will not stop fighting for our rights and for our freedom and there are also millions and millions of Palestinian refugees who live in neighboring Arab countries that are still you know struggling in, in refugee camps waiting to go home you know they, they've really been waiting their whole life building their whole life to go home and even in, you know what we've been seeing in Palestine all these protests, you also had protesters from Jordan and from Lebanon try to rush into the borders. Uh, between them and Israel, um, to go and support their Palestinian brothers and sisters back home. So uh, this struggle is not going to end, and Palestinians will always show that there is a price to pay for occupation. Even with the with the least we can do, even if just with our voices, uh, we're not. So oh. I really believe that that's, that's the most just solution. I also just want to extend really quickly gratitude um, to the Black liberation struggle since the Black Panther Party who visited Palestine, since Mal- you know, Malcolm X, uh, even figures from a long time ago. This is nothing new. So I think um, the Black liberation and Palestinian liberation are two compasses, struggle that everybody should be a part of and supporting. And I just wanted to say that.
0: So here what should allies do? What 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 should those of us who want to show up and be allies and stand in solidarity solidarity with Palestine, South Palestine do? What should we be doing?
3: Uh absolutely amazing question and and thank you for asking that. There there's so much work to be done year round even when it's not a hot topic, you know, in the media. Uh number one is, you know, we're as a, as a as a as a Palestinian people, we have made the call to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. This is something that is fundamental right of our people and boycott is uh, is a common use tactic uh, to achieve uh, uh, rights and, and to achieve uh, political gains. So we ask that the community, Americans in general, participate in boycott of Israeli products, a boycott of Israeli companies, academic institutions, all that support and aid uh, the occupation and extend the occupation, that's number one. Number two is, you know, follow and, pa- and listen to Palestinian voices. I mean, one of the ma- most important things is, you know, this connection that we have as a community. People understanding what's happening. You know, you, you're one of the few media outlets that actually brings Palestinians on to talk about what's happening uh, on the ground, to talk about what's happening uh, all over all over the region. So this is really critical, and I think that's really important for us to to, to know. Number three is, let's push our members of Congress. Let's push our politicians people who are supposed to be representing us uh, to to take a, a different approach on, on Israel-Palestine. We have a, a bill that was introduced in Congress, uh, H.R. 2590 uh, by Betty McCollum, that would basically leverage U.S. aid to Israel uh, based on its uh, human rights record. So this is something that we are trying to advocate for, we are trying to push for, so that we are moving U.S. policy in a different direction despite the odds and despite the tidal wave that's against us. Uh, and we uh, hope and pray that Uh, the rest of Americans and and especially our black brothers and sisters join us in that struggle.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Sahir and Nardine, for not only joining us today, but the activism and the work you are doing for liberation. Like I said, we can't be free unless we are all free and you guys are on the front lines fighting for freedom. Thank you. Thank you, Selena. On that note, we are actually going to end this episode of Be Her Talk on a... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to end on a positive note. Um, On a segment, we like to say Black Women Rise. So for today's Black Women Rise, we celebrate an actress and a philanthropist who is one of our all-time favorite TV moms and the essence of black excellence. I am talking about Felicia Rashad, who is now the Dean of the newly reestablished College of Fine Arts at Howard University. So this is a full circle moment for Rashad as her father and her sister Debbie Allen graduated from Howard University as well. Now she is known most famously for her role as Claire Huxtable on the Cosby Show. And she recently appeared on TV shows like This Is Us, David Makes Man, Empire, and the new Christmas classic Jingle Jangle on Netflix, proving that her acting skills and her beauty is only getting better with time. Her career has spanned over decades on both the screen and the stage. She also received multiple Tony Awards and Emmy nominations, giving us countless moments of Black excellence. Look, the students at Howard are indeed very lucky to have Miss Rashad championing their education. Thank you so much, Felicia Rashad, for everything that you do. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Be Her Talk today. Please remember to support us by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Be Her Talk. Your support will help to support us as we support you and the causes and the issues that you care about. Until next week, take care.